This is a Rook Media series, The Contemporary History of Iran, Part 28. Welcome to the Contemporary History of Iran, a series from Rook Media. This is part 28, The Golha Legacy. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Our aim with this series is to explore the events, personalities, and issues that have shaped modern Iran. We want to do this as much as possible through a non-traditional lens, through snapshots of change and using alternative voices or angles. This series is mostly in English and will feature a new episode posted every Thursday across our Rook Media platforms. We will post subtitled excerpts with Farsi Zirnavis on our YouTube and Instagram sites. We are coming to you on rookmedia.com. It is there that you can link to all of our platforms and we invite you to check out parts 1 through 27 of this series that are already posted. To become a sponsor or patron of Rook Media, please contact us through our website. All right, let's get started. Here now is the Contemporary History of Iran, Part 28. های رنگارنگ برنامه شماره 124 From 1956 to 1979, a series of radio programs made it to the national airwaves in Iran, aimed at showcasing the thematic and creative relationships between poetry and traditional music in Persian culture, and enhancing their appreciation by the general public. But while a long-standing music radio series might be simply notable or even important in some countries, the impact in Iran was monumental. In fact, it's almost impossible to overstate the influence that the Flower Program, or Barnome Golha, had on Iran and the cultivation of culture. The impact of the Golha programs was multifold, ranging from the popularizing of classical poetry to bringing masters of traditional music to public notice, drawing wide attention to the traditional radif style of Persian music, and introducing variations of arrangements in previously rigid musical performances. So how did the Golha programs find their genesis? How do we measure the impact they had on Iranian culture at the time? And what is the legacy of these programs today? For this episode, I'm joined by the utmost authority on the history of Golha, Jane Lewison. 
Ms. Lewison is a research associate at the Department of Music in the School of Oriental and African Studies at the University of London and the Institute of Arab and Islamic Studies. Her passion and love for Persian poetry and the poems of Rumi as a student inspired her to leave her home in America and start a new life in Iran. She moved to Shiraz in the 1970s and lived there for six years where she received her bachelor's degree in Persian literature and history from Pahlavi University. She has been working as the director of the Golha Project since 2005, in which she is preserving and archiving Persian arts and literature and making them freely accessible. And she has gone a long way to unearthing and preserving many of the original Golha programs. More recently, Jane has also been directing the Golestan Project, which is a virtual museum for the performing arts of 20th century Iran. Right now, Ms. Jane Lewison joins me from the tiny village of Eden, England today. Hello. Hi. Hi, Jan. How are you? Very nice to speak to you again. It's nice to speak to you again. Thank, thank you for doing this. You know that at this point, um, for for academic or Western years, they, just mentioning Golha is almost synonymous with your name because you've become <laughs> such an authority. Well, I mean, there are so many people in Iran that know, know so much more than I do. But, but uh, you know, I think it was just the interface of the British Library and then being able to put it online, accessible, freely accessible to everybody without any restraints, that sort of made that catalyst. You know, before we get into actually what the Golha programs were and their importance, how did you trip upon them? I, I mean, I know you spent a few years in Iran in the in the 1970s. How and when did you first encounter the Golha programs? Well, I mean, we lived with an Iranian family and had almost no contact with non-Persian speakers, just our Iranian family and their extended family and friends. And we used to listen to the Goha programs with them uh, every evening uh, and, uh, you know, cherished them. And of course, as students of, uh, of Persian literature, um, they were invaluable for us because, you know, they were uh, not only singing, declaiming, um, and, um, and describing uh, the various heritage of literary heritage of, of Persia, but, but, you know, it was performed by the most expert singers and performers and co composers. And, um, you know, it was just, you know, so important part of life at that uh, when we were in Iran. Do you remember, I mean, coming from America, do you remember what your first impressions were when you heard these Golha programs? Well, um, it was, uh, first of all, the beauty. I mean, of course, when we first got there, we hardly knew Persian at all. Hmm. Uh, and so it was just the beauty of the sound and the rhythm of the speech and how, how easy it was to follow this beautiful declamation, particularly if you had the poem in front of you. Ayo sabo khabari kun. Ayo sabo khabari kun maro adon ketudon. And that was a great boon for us as students. Um, I can't remember any specific, you know, performance that um, that you know made a super impression on me. I really like um, Abdul Wahab Shahidi's performances of the Baba Tahir 
and uh, uh, Hassan Akasei's Ney and Mahjoubi's Piano. Um, these were things that stuck in my mind. Little did you know at that point that uh, for the next 50 years, the Golha uh, programs would mean a big, uh, mean a lot in your life. Um, yeah. So let, let me ask you about how these programs started. The Golha were the brainchild of someone named Davoud Pirnia. He's an interesting guy because uh, he, he had been a one-time assistant prime minister. He was a politician and a judge. Um, what was the incentive of this guy for launching the Golha programs in, in 1956? Well, according to interviews that I had with his sons, of course, you know, he passed away a long time before I started this project. But, you know, his, his father, uh, who was the um, uh, prime minister and the uh, ambassador to Russia, and he, after, when he retired from politics, he started writing the history of Iran from, the early, from, from its earliest conception. And so, you know, he had his father's devotion to preserving the heritage of Persia, but he had a teacher when he was in high school who really impressed on him the connectedness of poetry and music and how through music you can make a greater connection to the poetry. was also um, involved in meetings in, with Haji Nuri, um, the center, uh, a place that he had provided there for the dervishes. And um, many great um, important figures, uh, you know, in uh, political and literary would come and as far as, and also uh, great musicians like Sabah and Mahjoubi. And, um, let me and let me just uh, stop you. So th these were these were kind of Sufi gatherings, right? That people loosely would Sufis. I mean, not all of them were were directly affiliated with the Sufi order, but they were sympathetic uh -huh. uh, to the Sufi order. And they were like and jam sessions or something, or what, what? yeah, something like that, more or less. I mean, not exact because they weren't all musicians, but there would be musicians there and and poets. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, soirees more than hmm. more than uh, jam sessions, right, I would right, say. Right. And uh, he was a, an attendant of these soirees that were loosely affiliated with the uh, Safiani Shah um, uh, or Anjuman Ochovat um, group. Uh, but he himself was never, uh, you know, he never joined that group. But he was he was sympathetic to it. Pirnia was never an. He's not an artist himself, right? No, he wasn't. So interesting. He, he, he did. He did. He did play a bit of the piano and violin, but he wasn't. He wasn't a musician himself. But he was a great appreciator and connoisseur of music and poetry. It's actually quite remarkable that somebody who creates this landmark creative series is is doesn't come from an artistic background himself but who who has the idea to take um what you just talked about in terms of those soirees as you called them and put them on uh, and create a radio program of those well i um according to interviews that i did with his children um he was um 
he was kind of dismayed by um, the what was happening to Persian music um, because there was a lot of, inf- of course, after the Second World War and the Allied occupation of Iran, there was a lot of um, influence of foreign uh, types of music into Iran from Arabic music, Turkish music, Indian music, Western jazz, and things like this. And, you know, um, uh, and also there was a literary movement at that time, um, you know, uh, sort of debunking classical uh, uh, literature, saying that this uh, creates a social malaise Mm. and, you know, we need to be modern and, and we need to be, you know, more political in our literary content. So all of these things... um, Uh, made him feel that he needed to champion the flag of Persian music and Persian literature. It's an interesting open lane in a way isn't it for 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 in terms of the development of of music and bringing it to the general public i mean i wasn't really going to ask you about this but but just knowing that you've talked about the history of the 20th century in iran this peculiar relationship with arts and music where for example in the period preceding when Pirinia launches uh, the the Golha, um, which loosely is the Reza Shah period uh, from 25 mm-hmm. to 41. Reza Shah himself, of course, is known as this great modernizer, but not a fan of of popular music and, and cinema, etc. So you have this almost counterculture uh, trying to emerge that becomes the mainstream culture later. Can you speak to that? Well, I mean, there wasn't much, there wasn't a lot, a very strong um, cinema um, uh, in in Reza Shah's period that came later, but um, he be, he began the radio shortly before he was he was deposed. You know, two years after he launched the radio, he stepped down from power, so he didn't have that much involvement. Um, but of course, he was very you know um, both he and 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 his forebearers, Mozaffarin Shah and all those people, they were very interested in in importing you know, military music and military bands right. and, and Western music. And many of the people that they appointed to be heads of the music institutes in Iran at the time were more pro-Western than pro-Indigenous uh, musical forms. So in very simple terms, what what would the state of, just to give us context, what would the, the state of Iranian radio and um, um, classical music, etc., uh, be uh, in the years preceding, uh, through the 1940s and early 50s, before Golha gets launched? Well, in, in the 40s, of course, you know, that's the radio only begins in, in, in the spring of 1940, and it was only broadcast a few hours a day. Um, the majority was kind of news broadcasts, but they did have uh, recordings, and they were mostly um, uh, not so much live music. In the very early first and second year, they were mostly um, uh, playing of the 78 recordings from, uh, that they had gotten from, you know, purchased from abroad. And then, you know, after, his, uh, after he was deposed, 
Then, you know, you had some live recordings and you had some of the great musicians coming to the radio, like um, Alina de Vazili and Sabah and uh, these other, you know, great Adibo uh, Hunsari uh, and, and these people and Banan. These people came to the radio um, to perform at that time. But up until um, a few years before the Golha, we had also another radio in Iran called the uh, uh, Air Force Radio. And that Air Force Radio was mostly aimed at a very popular um, uh, street music, mm. shall we say. It wasn't um, uh, concerned with, you know, the classical repertoire or these, um, you know, more highbrow musicians. And they were getting a lot of popularity. So the radio, uh, the Iranian radio, decided at one point to um, enlist these musicians who were performing on the um, Air Force radio to come and perform on the radio. It was not taken well by the great uh, maestros like Sabah and Tajvidi and Khaliqi. Mm. When, when that happened, they sort of disassociated themselves with the radio because um, they didn't want to be associated with these street musicians, which were just one tiny level above, you know, minstrels. And then you have Pirnia coming on the scene with this very sophisticated idea of the Golha. <laughs> And also, he's a very sophisticated person. So he comes with a very heavy, um, you know, kudos. That and said, that he, said, he has, as you've you've intimated and mentioned, he has important assistance as well, which is that um, he gets assistance from uh, the the director of Iranian national radio. As Pirnia is launching Golha, uh, how important was the support of Nusratullah Mu'inian, the director of Iranian national radio? It was essential. It was essential. I mean, of course, he started it under the directorship of, of Parviz Ad. He was invited to the radio by Parviz Ad. Um, we don't have any recordings from that time because I didn't have the, the uh, recording tape uh, facilities at that time. But then when uh, Mr. Mouinian becomes uh, director of the radio, he had a great respect for, for, for Mr. Pirinia. And, um, you know, he considered him almost like a father figure to him. And he had a great respect for his uh, cultural and artistic and aesthetic and, and patriotic viewpoint and basically he did whatever he could to support uh, whatever Mr. Pirineau wanted to do and at the same time Mr. Moynihan completely revamped the radio. Um, it had become a place where you know nepotistic people were parked mm. and many of them never showed up and they got salaries and it was really you know a, a sort of base for corruption and when he came he sort of cleaned out all the cobwebs and um, uh, put in committees and, and, you know, to vet the songs and vet the tunes and, and you know, uh, everybody had to be on contract. They couldn't show up whenever they liked and, you know, they got docked. Uh, their pay got docked if they didn't come on time. So he, he induced an amazing discipline and at the same time he had 
you know, complete confidence and 100 to support for whatever uh, Mr. Pierniaud's vision was. It wasn't long before Pyrnia and I guess uh, uh, Moinion had many of the foremost figures in classical Persian music, uh, as well as literary critics, famous radio announcers, poets, singers, composers. They were all participating in Gol Hall, seemingly from very early on, and as the series launches. How, how did Pyrnia persuade them all to get involved? First of all, the reorganization of the radio was really a very important uh, factor for people coming back and having confidence in the radio. And you can see this in the discussions in, of, the, of the contemporary uh, uh, music journals. But also, you, uh, Mr. Pirnia had such certain personal prestige. You know, he was somebody that, you know, was respectable to be associated with. Mm. And also, you know, he, he was a connoisseur of these things. He had been participating in these soirees where he had gotten to know many of these great maestros. And so he had collected a lot of favors and was able to bring them home when he started the Goha. So in those first years um, of the Goha series under the stewardship of Pirnia, what was the format of the programs? I mean, if, if somebody were to tune in and, uh, I don't know, 1957 um, to the average Golha program, what, what would they be hearing? Well, they began with the Golha Javidan. That was the first program that he started. And um, basically, you had a literary critic who would be discussing a particular poet or a particular genre of poetry. And then you would have um, the, the classical uh, avas or the classical repertoire being sung. And, uh, and, you, and you would have uh, poetry declaimed, uh, accompanied by music of the great maestros. It didn't have orchestration or, um, or, or ballads. It was you know, much more sort of uh, highbrow and educational. And it was a great success, actually. امشب سخن از حافظ است و بنا بر یاداوری صاحب دلی ارجمند بران شده این سخنی کوتاه در باره مدیه سرائی حافظ بگوییم و این خداوند کلام ارفانی را تا حدی که میسر است با دیگر مدیه سرائیان قیاس کنیم. But after the first year, they decided that, you know, they wanted to reach a broader audience. And so they decided they were going to include um, popular ballads, um, not just written by contemporary poets, but ballads that had been written in the constitutional period and ones uh, reviving uh, some of the great uh, ballad writers of the early 20th century. And they were reorchestrated by people like Javad Marofi and Haleri and Tajvidi. And these were sung by, you know, people like Elahe and Banan and, and uh, you know, all the different um, singers that were at their disposal. And Marzier, too. Marzier was mm. particularly fond of the uh, ballads written by Sheda, who was an early revolutionary uh, ballad writer. Bo, 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 bo,
So then the Golha became even more popular with the Golha Rangorang, which had ballads and, and declamation and, and orchestrated pieces. Um, and then uh, and then Mr. Pirnia decided to start a program that was directly dedicated to Sufi poetry. And he started the Bag of Saps, beginning with the uh, Javad Zahabi singing and classical avas, and it only had avas and instrumental and declamation. <laughs> Let's get to the meat of this conversation or, or why we're talking about the Golha programs at, at this point in 2022, looking back at a radio show, you know, radio, a series that was created in 1950s Iran. Uh, you've made the case, Jane, as have others, that the Golha marked a watershed in Persian culture um, for a number of reasons. One being that music and musicians gained respectability that they didn't have before. How so? Well, I mean, music and musicians were, you know, uh, certainly in the um, late 19th and early 20th century, they were not much more than indentured servants. They were attached to a particular wealthy household or court, and, um, and they really could not perform outside of that court, and if they did, they could uh, face repercussions. But, you know, now, after the um, Constitutional Revolution and the kind of breaking down that power of the courts and the uh, wealthy uh, households, um, you know, people, the, the musicians began to branch out and teach on their own outside of the court and outside of these households. But still, they were considered as, at best, craftsmen. They were not considered artists. They were not considered maestros. They were, at best, craftsmen, but at worst, minstrels. And, you know, they were on the bottom rung of society. Nobody would have wanted their daughter or their son to marry a musician. It would not, not, not be. sure. Not sure that's changed that much, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on how famous a musician is, right? Right, of and course. How yes. Musician well, yeah. is yes. So the Golha um, changes that, but you know it's interesting because you're uh, you're involved in the preservation of the Golha, um, and the Golha itself was. In, inextricably linked to the preservation of Persian culture, it, it, we see in retrospect. I want to actually read a quotation from uh, the late maestro Muhammad Reza Shajarian talking about the significance of the Golha programs. He said, Persian music owes a huge debt to Davud Pirnia, in my opinion. At a crucial moment in the history of Iran, he effectively rescued our music from perdition. If it were not for his efforts, Arab music, Turkish music, or Western pop music would have all but drowned out and obliterated Persian music. In establishing the Golha programs, Mr. Pirnia created a sanctuary where Persian music could survive and flourish amongst all these debilitating and corrupting influences, so that even today, the Golha programs are still cherished among the populace at large. I, I would guess that you don't believe that Shajarian was overstating the case there, that you, in fact, would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. And not only, you know, in the field of music, but also in the field of literature. Because you have to think, of course, the population was, according to UNESCO at that point, 85% illiterate. 
And so they were introducing to the population their great literary heritage that they might not have been aware of. And you have to realize that the radio, it was free to listen to, and it was broadcast in every village and every town in Iran. And, you know, if you didn't have a radio in your own house, you could go to a relative's house or you could go to a local cafe and listen to it. And so you were introduced to all of these poets, although Persians have a passion for poetry and, you know, poetry runs in their veins. But, you know, if you're talking about a village in, in you know, rural Kurdistan or rural Baluchistan, you know, maybe they could name Hafez, Sadi, and a local Kurdish or Baluchi poet. Mm. But, you know, would they have known Vashi Bafri? Would they have known Nasir Osro? Would they have known, you know, Iraqi? And all of these other poets that were part of their great fantastic um, literary heritage? Probably not. So they realized this amazing well source of cultural heritage and epic knowledge. So in terms of being a corrective to illiteracy, what were the mechanics of that? People would people would listen to the Golha programs and then go out and get a book or a, a or Well, read. I don't know how many people actually went to 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 learn how to read. Of course there was at the at the time, of course there were initiatives by the government, you know, they had the Donesh and everything to tell people how to read. But at least, you know, people in Iran memorize poetry. Mm. It's not like here you just read it. Mm. People mm. memorize it. So, you know, they would be memorizing these poetries and carrying them around with them in their in their heart as they went around. Um, so it's a it's a very bardic culture and this tradition of memorizing poetry that you love and that speaks to your heart is very, very strong in Iran, even to today. You know, the most uh, respected people are somebody who can quote poetry from memory. And these programs, like like being on Golha, could could catapult you into stardom almost absolutely, over. Like absolutely. like I was actually trying to think of a a contemporary equivalent because I mean the, you know the Johnny Carson show or something that doesn't exist anymore. Maybe maybe in the in the West it would be Saturday Night Live or something like that where where an act can perform and be known the next day or maybe an awards show like the Oscars or something. But we really don't have anything like that that I can even think of a reference point to this program where people would you know an artist would go on or from what I understand a poet or a musician and then across Iran they know who that person is the next day right absolutely it launched the careers of many many an artist whether it was a poet or or a, or a musician or a singer but you know i mean i think we can i think of some early programs you know um that did things like that for instance the ed sullivan show sure sure yes, too yeah. young to realize yeah. that one but that was a program that did introduce you know, yeah. singers. No, Car- Carson um, did it for comics. I mean, it, it's it, yeah. it was also because there was there were only two or three stations. You know, it was like a uh, the the only game in town, and so that doesn't exist anymore in a multimedia no. universe. But no. but the the impact. But if you is, remember, I, you probably have never seen the Ed Sullivan show. But I remember as a young person watching the Ed Sullivan show, and they would have a singer on, and then they would have the lyrics, and there'd be a bouncing ball on the top. 
<laughs> with the rhythm of the lyric. You know, it was kind of, you know, really unique. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, live from New York, The Ed Sullivan Show. He did launch the careers of quite a few people um, on his on his show, but it wasn't as profound as as the Gold Hall was. We don't really have a a, a completely comparable right. um, you know, program in, in in the West. Oh, by the way, I have seen the Ed Sullivan Show. It's on YouTube. Well, really, I remember sitting sitting as a young girl in front of a sort of black and white TV watching it. So at the height of the Golha programming, how how popular were these programs? I mean, this was a series that people would organize their daily schedules around, right? Yeah, I mean, people would make sure they were home to listen to it. And, you know, everybody would sit around listening to it, um, you know, and um, it was it was a major uh, point on the daily calendar of everybody. You know, you mentioned, I just wanted to, to, you said after the initial series and after the first year, Pirnia has some concern that some of the content is too heavy or intellectual for the broader taste of the general public. And so he creates this new program, Multicolored Flowers or Gulhaya Rangarang. Um, what, what was the change? What was the shift? What did that offer? Well, it offered, um, first of all, um, yeah, the Gulhaya Javidan was, uh, you know, the classical repertoire singing and discussion of uh, of poetry and poetic genres and particular poets and uh, and and declamation and solo um, performances. But in the Rango Rang, you had composed orchestral pieces and uh, and the declamation, and also you had and of course these composed. Um, orchestral pieces, they were forward-looking. They were trying to um, incorporate, um, you know, modern elements into the classical uh, repertoire without uh, watering the classical repertoire down. So, you know, people like Hollery and Vazidi and Javad Marufi, you know, they were trying as hard as they could to progress or incorporate modern uh, Western uh, technologies into Persian music. So you had those orchestrated pieces, which were very modern for their time, and you also had. Sorry, when these, you just just to cut you, when you say composed pieces, they would compose them for Golha. Yes, they oh, would wow. compose them for Golha. So they would be, debut them on the yes, they would live deb- radio. They would be debut, debut, debut on the program. Wow! And also the songs, you know, yeah, the uh, the the ballads, you know, they would be debut on the program. 
and then you know they would go viral. That's but, amazing. Um, they, they would go viral <laughs> in, David, in the 20th century sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, they would. They would go viral. You know, everybody would be humming them and singing them, and then and then they would constantly request them to be replayed and whatever. And so um, and so, uh, I, I feel embarrassed that I don't know this, but would there have been songs that were that debuted on Golha that then become thereafter recordings that become popular songs? Yeah, absolutely. After um, some of the songs, I mean, not in Pyrenees time, but after Pyrenees left the radio, some of these songs were then recorded, you know, on, on 45s and 78s. Right. Uh, besides just on the radio. Um, and, and then again on cassette, cassettes later. And then these songs, I mean, in Iran, they sort of, uh, um, the way songs were owned was kind of complex. The composer would give the song uh, or be contract the song to the singer, mm. and the poet would put the put the poetry onto the song. Whereas earlier in the earlier days, it would be the opposite. And then you know that would be known as that singer's song. And so then that singer then could give permission to other singers to sing that song. And sometimes you would get into fights. <laughs> that you were singing my song without permission. Hmm. And, uh, and of course, you know, sometimes it would be folk songs or songs that had no particular uh, line of, um, uh, of heritage to it. So, you know, maybe there were ancient songs that nobody knew who, they, who, who the poetry was by, but the orchestration would have been, you know, done by somebody. Hmm. And so, you know, there was a bit of, you know, uh, a legal back and forth like that in Iran at the time. But basically the songs were the were the songs of the singer Jane you mentioned the post Pyrenea period uh, a few moments ago how did the Golha programs evolve in the 1970s under the well-known modern poet Hussein Ebtehaj? Well, I mean, Pirnia left after 11 years, and for a few years after he left, it was, you know, um, sort of, you know, uh, uh, the directorship was kind of fuzzy, who was directing it and who wasn't directing it. Um, Rahim Ma'iri was involved, and Dr. Shah Hosseini and and Mir Naribi, but, you know, it sort of was a kind of collective effort, it never um, reached the uh, heights of when Pirnia was involved. And so when, in 1972, when Hussein Abtahaj became head of the music at the radio, he decided that, you know, he wanted to combine all of these various uh, programs into a single program called the Golhoi Taze. And there was a bit of backlash you know, a lot of people who were really devoted to the Golha programs were saying, what do you mean Golha Itaze? We don't have Golha Itaze. And then, uh, you know, of wilted flowers. We don't have fresh flowers and wilted flowers. We just have, you know, flowers. And so um, there was a bit of backlash at that Golha time. Golha Itaze being fresh flowers. Fresh so flowers. The implication that, that we've... That we're, the other we're, flowers we're, were wilted. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. So this was a bit of, you know, um, uh, contention at the time um, between those people who were devoted to, you know, Pyrenees uh, vision. But, you know, um, uh, Mr. Eptahaj, he 
he had his own vision and he also he gave a great opportunity to a, a group of young uh, musicians which were involved in in a movement in in Persian music called the the return movement or the Bazgasht movement and they were interested in going back to the roots of Persian music before um, Western influence became a factor in Persian music so the earlier Gajar music Some of the people in that movement were uh, Muhammad Reza Lutfi, Roy Shajarian, um, uh, and uh, various other composers, Meshkatian, and other people. They were in involved in this, and and um, uh, gave them a, a broad platform and gave them a lot of exposure, and also. Um, he he gave a, a lot of exposure to new poets like Nima Yushi and Naderpur and other you know modern poets who were involved in you know uh, had a political social um, vision and and so it was a completely different um, program and also um, the actual structure of the program was much more directed and pointed and disciplined uh, project than, than mm. the actual Golha programs, which was, you know, more product of love and passion and, and inspiration. You know, just I was just thinking, uh, sometimes we really have to give a tip of the hat to, the, to Persian culture, um, even modern Persian culture, in the sense that uh, I can't really imagine a western show like that would be the most popular show where people are reading poetry it <laughs> just what you know as well, as, as popular that, as poetry are, is uh, was i mean maybe back to the beat generation there'd be some you know but i well, but no, not in the beat generation they were marginal we were mar we were in a marginal group right um right. you know uh Fairlangetti and ginsburg you know they weren't household names <laughs> no, it's amazing. It's a, it's an amazing, it's amazing that this this is the the popular culture. I mean, it it speaks volumes, uh, so to speak, about what you know the the legacy and importance of of poetry and literature in 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 our culture, in the Persian culture. Well, that's um, what's so unique about Persian um, Persian culture. I mean, poetry is the lifeblood of Persian culture. You know, every culture has its own unique monumental art you know the italians have sculpture um you know the french have maybe uh painting or whatever it is but the persians their monumental art form is mm. is poetry mm. and everybody in iran you can get into a taxi even today and you can have the taxi driver quoting hafez and sadi and and rumi to you right. well i doubt that you could get into a taxi in london or new york and have somebody quote quoting milton or shakespeare mm. or, or or yeats to you i thought the lifeblood of our culture was tadik but i guess it, <laughs> it's it's also maybe this it's also the stomach maybe <laughs> not the, not well jane what do, what do we know about the the final gulha program or the, the or how it ended I, I guess in the in the lead up to the revolution well I mean you know uh, pressure began to bear on the people at the radio and you know they were basically said toe the line or you're out and they said okay give show us the door 
basically that was it. And, you know, some of them, uh, Mr. Eftahaj spent some time in prison, and a lot of the singers and performers were brought up in front of tribunals and made to promise that they wouldn't, you know, perform in public anymore. But, of course, a great... Um, many um, private concerts sprouted up. People were having these soirees and gatherings in their homes. A lot of that happened after the revolution. And of course, it wasn't until after the end of the war that, I mean, they had, you know, uh, revolutionary songs and, Mm. you know, war anthems, but no, not real music. And then after the war ended, then things began to loosen up and then you had people like Sharam Nazari and some of his right. famous, you know, his famous, the most famous song, Andak Andak Oshekhan Miravan. And that was just like, you know, it just like spoke to everybody's heart. It was like, you know, this is the anthem of the day. You know, little by little, we're going to open up our hearts again. Andak 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 You've said that as a partial result of Hushang Eftahaj's vision, and despite the general ban that was ban that was placed on music in Iran after the seventy nine revolution a movement to preserve and cultivate the traditions of Persian classical urban art music is still alive and flourishing in present-day Iran, continues. I'm curious how you connect that back to the Golha programs. Well, the thing is that um, uh, after the revolution, of course, you know, um, songs and ballads were no longer allowed unless they were, you know, revolutionary songs and ballads. Um, And so... Uh, the only thing that was allowed was, you know, the classical repertoire. And, um, and so that got a great boost the, um, uh, because there was nothing else. You know, all of the great singers uh, who were, you know, famous uh, before the revolution were, uh, who were involved in singing ballads like Golpaigani and Qabami and uh, all of these people, they were no longer, or Mamoudi Khonsari, they were no longer allowed on the way, airwaves, and they were no, no, no longer to sing those songs that they used to sing. But the, any of the singers who were singing the classical repertoire, which, you know, singing just classical poetry and not, uh, in, in the main, not any, um, uh, you know, modern poetry that could have a political or social impact, um, you know, and a lot of them, particularly Shah Jadion, he was so clever. He knew Persian poetry so well that, you know, of course, Hafez is, you know, he speaks to every Persian's heart. And, and he, would, he would choose poems from Hafez and Sadi and Attar that spoke to the moment in, 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 in what was going on in society and politics. But because it was exactly the poems of Hafez or Sadi or Attar or Molana, they couldn't, you know, uh, censor it or ban it because, mm. you know, it wasn't, you know, something that somebody else had written. It was a classical poem. And, of course, some of them did get banned, but, but uh, and, and that's how they got around it, you know. 
by uh, by doing that, and and that went on for many, many, many uh, years. But how do you see the legacy of Golha um, exhibiting itself, manifesting itself? Um, well, it, it, to tell you right now, you go to any taxi in Iran, you sit in the taxi in Tehran, and who are they playing on their radio, on, on their on their CDs or their cassettes? Haide, Mahasti, Elahe, all of these great singers from the Golha. Mm. And who are the young kids, you know, listening to? It's because these songs are eternal, you know, and they speak to not just... Um, poetically, but they speak musically to the heart of Persian culture. I'd be remiss before I let you go if I did not ask you about um, your Golha project and the Golestan project. Of course, we've talked about that in the past, but I have to assume that, you know, something like the Golha project that you've been working on since 2005, it, it would will never really be complete because you're on an ongoing mission to unearth old recordings. And, and, and I'm sure there's people always contacting you who found something or dug something up or so where, what is the status of your projects today? Well, um, you know, we have the Golestan project, which is ongoing and we have migrated all the information from the Golha project to the Golestan project, but I think we're going to keep the uh, Golha website because so many people have become used to it and are used to used to it. But basically, you know, the Golha, uh, the Golestan project is to champion Persian performing arts uh, of a hundred years of Persian performing arts, whether it was music, film, um, documentaries. Um, uh, uh, 78 recordings, uh, documents to do with, uh, to do with uh, you know, uh, how things were uh, produced, and also the, uh, the journals and, and the literature of that time, and, and all the different radio programs. So it's much, much broader than the, than the Golha project. And you know, hopefully, I, I hope within the next few, few months, we'll be able to um, launch it, but we have like over a thousand of the of the feature films broadcast in Iran on the project, which ha which will be able to be viewed, for, um, and uh, and they're all indexed. You can find whatever you're looking for. We have about three thousand of the seventy eight recordings, about that many of the forty f forty fives, and myriad um, uh, radio programs, and about seven terabytes of uh, Persian journals relating to per Persian art before the revolution, which we are in the process of indexing and pamphlets and catalogs and and things like that so basically trying to create a resource because a lot of this material even in Iran is difficult to access for students and and and, and practitioners we want to make it available to everybody so that people will have an idea of where they came from and where they're going I believe we all uh, owe you a great debt 
to these uh, <laughs> these projects that you've selflessly been working on for decades. Really, I really I really appreciate what you do, and I know uh, many millions do, or people uh, um, who know of your projects are are, are really really grateful for them. Um, fi- a final question, a fun one, perhaps. Uh, or maybe a skill testing one. Let's see. Uh, a favorite Gulha episode. Do you have one? Uh, there are so many. It's hard to uh, remember exactly their numbers and things like that. Well, we're like going to play but... your choice as we go out here. So okay, you tell Surat us. Okay, by Marzier and Tajvidi's orchestration. With The poem is by Sheda. I'm guessing that's from 1957? Well. Probably First year, 50, Yeah, 57, 58, something like that. Jane Lewis, and it is always a pleasure. I thank you so much for this. You're very welcome. Thank you for calling. Good office. Good office. Jane Lewison. Jane Lewison is a research associate at the Department of Music in the School of Oriental and African Studies at the University of London and the Institute of Arab and Islamic Studies. She is also the director of the Golha Project and the Golestan Project. We reached Jane Lewison in the village of Eden, England today. And this is full time for the Rook Media series, The Contemporary History of Iran, Part 28. Please check out our regular editions of Rook and all things related at rookmedia.com. That is our website where you can find all of our programs, our episodes, our guests, etc. Rookmedia.com. You can also become a supporter, a patron of Rook there. Thanks to the team who make Rook Media happen. Talented Anahita, Super Patty Saw, Ponta the Artist, Savvy Roham, Aray Merdod, the fabulous Keon, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shia. And thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you have not done so already. You can find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. Mizunbashi. <laughs>
Yeah, <laughs> 